0: Hey Alex, welcome to Money bites. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited to be here today. Amazing. Just wanted to quickly intro Winnie being the community of women in tech, empowering for financial literacy, wealth building, and career. Would like to start off with what might be a one-line introduction of yourself. Number one. And two, what might be a trivia or a surprising
1: fact about you? Oh, gosh, one line. (laughs) Let's see. CPO, mother, wife, partner, yoga guru. We'll leave it at that. (laughs) Love it. Love it. CPO being chief product officer. Chief product officer. Yes. Uh, I'm currently the chief product officer at Cerebral. Which is a telehealth mental health company where we offer uh, both therapy and medication management for all. Love it, and we'll go into that definitely.
0: Yoga guru, wow, that's
1: dedication. Yes, I love doing yoga. I think it's one of those things that um, if I'm if I'm not on the mat a couple times a week, you can you can definitely tell. <laughs> <laughs> respect, respect. Our second resident question is. What's your first memory of money? My first memory of money? Oh, good question. You know, my parents used to talk to me about money quite a bit. A lot of it was just around, you know, what you use money for, how you use it, what you buy, what needs and wants are. I remember my parents talking to me about money as early as kindergarten. It's something that's so important and something that probably not enough parents do.
0: I love that. There's definitely a lack of discussions around money in social discourse, but also in the public education system. Make sure you discuss it openly and it's not like, seeing. As a bad boo-boo kind of topic, I, I love that. That's that's really amazing.
1: Well, it's funny because like I'm thinking back to like when I was in middle school, like I was required to take a home ec class where I had to do some cooking and some sewing. I had to be introduced to a musical instrument. Uh, I think I played the violin for a semester. You had to take PE. You had to do all of these different things, but. Never was there an elective or a course around money management and what it means to invest starting with your first paycheck, what Mm -hmm. it means to open up your first bank account. So you're right. It's not something that is taught, um, you know, to children in in the school systems. Something we should definitely change
0: from your childhood, you went to college and out of college. Did you start directly as APM or
1: how did that first route go? Yeah, yeah. So when I was in grad school uh, out here in, in New York, you know, I was searching the database to find an internship for the summer. And I came across one at Weight Watchers. And I had the opportunity to work on the product team because uh, they were looking for someone to come in and help them with their food database. And so at the time, I didn't know what product management was. I didn't know that that was a career. I just knew the company Weight Watchers. And, you know, I knew that I liked their mission. They were really helping to change people's lives. And so, um, you know, I got to spend my, my summer with them. And and I absolutely loved it. I loved how product managers were solving problems for for customers and I thought to myself like this is a really cool profession. Like I would love to stay on after grad school. And I had the opportunity to do just that, and I was a product analyst uh, as my first my first role at a grad school, and I got to work on some pretty neat projects, you know, throughout uh, my tenure at at Weight Watchers. So, you know, it's funny because a lot of folks, you know, maybe start in product management, you know, much later in their careers. They either go to business school or they have some kind of engineering background, or you know, they sort of fall into it, you know, a little bit later on in their career but I was fortunate and, and started, you know, at, at 22. I love that.
0: It's also, you progressed fairly rapidly within Weight Watchers. So from product management, you eventually became a director of product management. What might be a lesson learned in something that you might be able to share for our women in tech community who are looking to advance their careers?
1: So I I tried to get on the most important projects for the company, Right. You know, at first when I was more junior, like I was, you know, assisting, you know, maybe a director or, you know, a, a more senior product manager. Um, but I wanted to be, you know, where where the action was. And so, you know, right around the time where like your parents may have been joining Facebook, you know, Weight Watchers was building its its first ever, you know, online community. We were solving the problem that, you know, folks wanted camaraderie and, and motivation in between. Their meetings, but Facebook wasn't really the right place because, you know, like a lot of people don't want to announce that they either lost weight or gained weight or you know, to their entire social network, but they wanted to share that experience with others that were were going through that. And so my very first project was working on that, you know, that was a really big success for the company. And then I started working on their yearly innovations. And so uh, the science gets better and better as as time goes on. And I was able to Um, you know, work on on those teams. Uh, So I think it's important to just, you know, let your managers know what interests you and if you have an opportunity to take it.
0: I love what you just mentioned, which I think is something that I'm realizing. Well, first off, it's a bit shocking to say when your parents joined Facebook, oh my gosh, has time (laughs) fly? The second part is not only making sure that your manager is on board and is in your corner when it comes to your career progression, but also you made a really good point about making sure that you're working on something that benefits the company's business.
1: Yes, you want to be working on the things that are moving the needle for the organization, that is job security right there. And if you're not like you should have conversations with your manager about like how you can, you know, move into a role or do a little bit of extra to, you know, maybe help out with an assignment or two, you know, it's important to keep that dialogue going. What I will say are, you know, managers are not mind readers. And Mm. especially today, you know, in this remote environment, it's really hard to, Um, you know, kind of have that like water cooler talk. Um, So don't be shy. Don't be shy to say like, hey coach, throw me in. I really want to, you know, work on this or I want this opportunity or like, you know, the next time something big comes up, like, please think about me. We're so busy going through our normal like day-to-day routines and, you know, everyone has a bunch of meetings that they're going to or podcast that they're filming or whatever it might be so you know don't be afraid to to speak up because you're you're the one that is you know fighting for your own career
0: that totally makes sense you should definitely be your own best advocate yes now that you've been on both sides both as an IC and a manager if you had to give one tip on how to have a great conversation or even start a conversation? What might that be?
1: You should Just flat out say like, hey, I want to talk a little bit about my career path. You know, I've been thinking about what it is that I want to do. And I, you know, want to run this, this by you, you coming in with some ideas to start, I think really, really helps. I would never ask for feedback necessarily on the spot. Like I think that that's a really hard way to come about, you know, having a, a career talk. If someone's like, hey, can you give gave me some feedback it's like well wait a minute I gotta like run through you know everything you've worked on in the the last you know six months I gotta like think about all these things so another idea too is is uh if you do want to have a conversation like just let your manager know so that like both of you come prepared to the meeting and both of you can have like a productive conversation I am definitely going to apply this
0: on my next one-on-one with my manager that's awesome at Weight Watchers this was also the time when you developed a industry expertise
1: for behavioral science? Would that be the right word? Behavior change. You know, I'm not a a scientist, but I have, you know, read plenty of books on behavior change. And actually all of the products I have worked on, um, you know, throughout my career have had some components of where the user needs to change their behavior for the outcome to be successful. I would say pretty much every product I've worked on are not things that people typically like want to pay for. They sort Mm -hmm. of need to pay for it, um, because it is going to make your life better. So yeah, I would say the majority of my career has been spent like trying to help people, you know, change their behaviors and, um, you know, and and easily as, as as possible.
0: There's this ongoing discussion about being a generalist as a PM versus a industry expert. Would you having gone through your career as is, would you lean one to or the other?
1: I think it depends on what kind of company you want to work at, right? If you want to work at a really early stage startup, you know, being a generalist is fantastic because you need, you know, to roll up your sleeves and dabble in a lot of different things. If you want to work in more of a later stage company, that's really where I would say the expertise comes comes in handy, right? Because you now have so many more users on your platform, your you're delivering more, more value. There's more, there's more going on like here at, at Cerebral, like I'm in a, a later stage company right now. And, you know, we are looking for, you know, certain, certain areas of expertise, whether that's on the design side or, you know, the product side, like we looked for um, someone just recently who had a lot of experience with conversion funnels, right? Like we're trying to optimize our funnel and we want somebody who has had analogous success in, in that particular area.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I want to go back and double click into something you also mentioned about a user's want versus need. For Winnie, this is a topic that has been heavily weighing on my mind in that financial literacy is something that everybody says, oh, I need it. But Mm -hmm. exactly to your point, it's not something that people readily or enjoyably act on. (laughs) Yes. What has been your experience on how to move that needle
1: in behavioral change? Well, let me let me mention. So after Weight Watchers, the next place I went to to work was Elevest, and I was part of the founding team at Elevest. So really, really early stage company where we were solving the problem for the fact that women were underinvested in the stock market. Men were you know, ending up with so much more money at the end of their their lives than, than women were. And that's because, you know, this was not particularly women's fault. It was the fact that Wall Street was built for men by men. Like the symbol of Wall Street is a bull. Like it doesn't get any more male than that right? I would say that, you know, the financial industry, just like we started our conversation, like we we were not really, most of us were not taught as children, like how to, you know, save or how to invest or, you know, how to really plan for the future. And so Ellevest was born uh, to be able to do just that, you know, we were hearing from women, all of their pain points around money, right? Like, I don't want to, um, have my children have to take care of me, you know, when I'm in retirement? Or I have multiple goals that I want to invest towards, but I only make one salary. Like how am I supposed to solve for this? We would we would learn in our user research that women tend to be risk aware, not risk averse. So like they just wanted to ask all of the questions, but we also know that women are busy, right? Like like the folks that would be listening to this podcast, like you all are thinking about your careers and like how you want to grow and, and you don't want to be spent. like your free time thinking about which type of investment account you should be investing in for your, you know, your home goal or your retirement goal. Right. And so at Ellevest, we said like, let's, let's be the experts. We'll be the experts for you. We'll recommend, you know, goals for you and you kind of go and do, and do your thing. And if you're curious about any of this, like we will provide little tidbits throughout the experience on why we picked a particular portfolio for you. Um, We'll provide articles if you want to dig deeper, but we wanted uh, you to feel like that we had your back.
0: Was the sort of spanning from Weight Watchers to Ellevest, would you say the best way to make behavioral change is to
1: automate it then? so that people don't have to necessarily think so much about it? Yes. So we actually talk a lot about setting it and forgetting it. I mean, you have to be the one to decide what you're setting it to, but there's many examples of this. So I'll start first at Weight Watchers, and we'll talk a little bit about Elevest. But, you know, setting it, forgetting it when it comes to food like one of the projects I worked on was creating amazing routines that you just go to naturally when it comes to eating, right? And so one of those might be eating the same breakfast every single morning, because it's like, you don't have to think about it. And therefore you don't have to make a a bad choice, right? If you're like, okay, every day, I'm just going to make you know, egg whites with avocado and, you know, some, some smoothie, like that's, that's what you do. You know, you're doing that. And yeah, like it can be boring, but at the same time, it's like one less decision you have to, you have to make. The typical human makes 200 food decisions a day. So you can imagine that's a lot of choice. And so getting rid of some of that and putting it on autopilot is very helpful. Another example of that with finance is for everyone who, for example, has a 401k, if you go in and you, you know, Put your percentage um to where you you think is best or where you and your financial advisor, you know, have agreed to. It's like you, you set it, you're like, I'm gonna put 5% of my paycheck towards my 401k. And then it's on autopilot, you set it and forget it, and you're all, you're all good. So and then like maybe the next year it's like, yeah, I was fine at 5%. Now I'm gonna up it to 6%, or I'm gonna up it to 7%. But it's like putting it on autopilot so you don't have to like think about it or see it. And that's that goes for all of your your financial goals.
0: Is the nudge needed when a user is onboarding and just getting started quite different from say maintaining and continuing that momentum?
1: That's a good question. I mean, it's obviously harder to get started, right? Because you're going you're like you're completely doing a, you know, a a 1 1 180. Yeah, 180. Really <laughs> doing a 180. Um, But it doesn't mean that like, you know, when you come back from vacation, and you're back to, you know, a a routine that, you know, you kind of have to like get get back into it or, you know, like, it's, it's, we're about to change seasons and go into fall. And I'm sure people like have a different, you know, set of things that they're doing over the summer. And so like, there are these like natural moments. I mean, holidays are another like big, big time period. So yeah, I mean, I think people, it's like natural to kind of like fall in and out of your patterns, but, you know, knowing that you have this place, whether or not it's, you know, LFS or Weight Watchers or even Cerebral, which we haven't had a chance to talk about just yet. Like knowing that you have a home to go back to and you have a company that like has your back. That's, that's what's so important. Let's
0: get to that part then you changing jobs, yeah, but not to a lateral job. It, It was to a completely different industry each time. And somewhat on the earlier phase of companies like startup-ish, which can be super scary.
1: (laughs) Yeah, when I left Ellevest, uh, Ellevest was a, a Series B company. I went to Cerebral, which is a Series C company. My org was about, it's about, about the same, about the same size. Yeah. I mean, the domain was a little bit different, but the job of product management was not different. I truly believe that if you are a great product manager, you can work in any domain. Obviously, like I had a lot of catch up to do to understand, you know, the healthcare space and I'm still learning, you know, each and every day, but I feel like I was able to apply a lot of the learnings from my previous careers, um, you know, at LVS and at Weight Watchers to cerebral, just like weight loss, for example, you know, your mental health is something that you also have to like keep a pulse on, right? Like you're not necessarily like weighing yourself like you are with weight loss, but at the same time, it's like you do have good days and you do have bad days and you do have good seasons and bad seasons. And we know our mental health is not something that is linear, but it's something that ebbs and flows. And, you know, we want to be there for our users when. When, when things get, you know, and things are in a rough patch. And so we're creating a product experience around, around just that. When you say what
0: makes a good PM in one company that's transferable, have you seen either
1: skill sets or characteristics that make exceptional PMs? Yes. One of the questions I ask in reference calls is I want the person on the other end to tell me about the person I'm about to hire. I ask them if you can put these adjectives in order and the, the, the adjectives are, you know, leadership, analytical, and creativity, right? I have never hired a PM where leader was not the first in line. Right. And, um, and, I've never actually gotten far enough in the, I've never actually had someone get far enough in the interview process where that answer wouldn't have been been the answer but leader right like as a pm you have to be an exceptional leader you have um a really hard job in the fact that you have to you know represent your customer but then you also have to represent and get along with and and you know get your stakeholders together right and so you have to collect operations requirements you have to collect legal requirements and you have to collect the program teams requirements and so on and so forth and so you need to be a good leader and you need to communicate really well with folks so that they can understand maybe the trade-offs that you're making, the strategy that you're trying to deliver, even further out, like the vision that you all are trying to to create. So I think being a leader is is great. Now, the other two, I said, being analytical and being creative are also important. Like you need to have a pulse on the data. And I don't just mean quantitative data. I also mean the qualitative data, right? Um, Just looking at the numbers is not enough. It's not enough of a story. You also need to be talking to your users. You need to be seeing what competitors are doing. You need to be looking at like what's happening at a macro level. Like all of that is very, very important. And then creativity. And I don't mean that you're a designer by any means. I mean that you are able to come up with interesting and different solutions to the problems that you're looking to solve for. So I'd say that those are like the three most, most important.
0: Out of curiosity, on the second point that you made in being aware of what the competitive landscape is, what do you think is the distinction between a PM and a PMM?
1: So I think a product marketing manager, um, you know, you tend to get product marketing managers at much later stage companies. Um, I would say like at startups, like sometimes the PM is the product marketing manager as well. But if you're fortunate enough to, you know, have that hire. Um, the product marketing manager, I would say, is responsible for the messaging, right? thinking about how you want to talk about the product. like I think we've all heard that example of like Steve Jobs when he was creating the iPod and it's like, yeah, you can talk about how much you know gigabytes are, are in the iPod, you know the iPod or you know how small it is or whatever. but at the end of the day it ended up being like the, the thing that like ended up, you know, being that message was 10,000 songs in your pocket, right? And so it's coming up with that message um, that explains, you know, what it is that your product does. And I can tell you that it is just as hard to come up with the messaging as it is to build your product. And I would recommend that everyone start working on the messaging when you are starting to build out the product. Like they they are two things that should be done in parallel because they both can take up a lot of time.
0: You also mentioned as you entered Cerebral as the CPO, the metrics and vision was another aspect that you wanted to focus on. Assessing direction. What is your principle when you are setting the vision for a new org or team?
1: I think it comes down to at first, just starting with your users and understanding the problems that you need to help them solve right starting there understanding like who you're building for and then you can start to talk about like okay like where do we want to go with this thing what are we looking to really to really do here and that is exactly, you know, what we did with uh, the cerebral vision, right? I think cerebral, when it first started, was really about access to care because it was it was built during a pandemic, right? And so, quick access to care. But as we were talking to our users, access to care just like one time is not enough, right? Like your mental health journey again is something that you're going to have to work on your entire life, and there will be good times and there will be bad times, but we want a place for our users to come back when when things are, are a little rough, right? And so we wanted to create our vision around, you know, hand-holding, wanting to be there for our users, making sure that they have a place to go forever, not just when they need quick access to care. Building out that experience is what, you know, our strategy is is really focused on now.
0: I love that. And I think also when you're building out from zero to one, that, at least for me personally, is some of the most exciting times as a PM. But mm-hmm. we also aligned uh, during our pre-call on the importance of deprecating products. Could you talk a bit about maybe an example in some of the
1: metrics that you used to make those decisions. So this is one that I actually had a a really tough time with at Adellavast. At we we were thinking about our subscription offering as an a la carte service and folks could come in and they could do, you know, they could invest with us. They could book financial sessions with us. Um, They could bank with us. However, our banking product, you know, never really took off the way that, you know, we had anticipated. I think it's probably because it probably wasn't the right target audience, to to be honest. You know, folks that were coming to us for investing already had a bank and most likely had a credit card that was tied to their bank. And so we had to make the decision of like whether or not we wanted to continue forward with it or not. And at Ellevest, like we were tracking ARR as our our North Star metric. And so, you know, when we were looking at like how much ARR the banking offering was, was bringing in, like it wasn't enough to keep it running. And some of our vendors wanted to raise, you know, the cost of things. And that was even, I think, more of like a push to say, like, is this really, you know, the direction that, that we want to go in. And so we ended up deprecating like the whole line of business. And so that's the thing is sometimes when it's a whole line of business, like it's more than just a product decision, like it really is a business decision, but I think like at a product level. Like you should always be looking at, you know, the features that you have launched and making sure that, you know, users are, are interacting with them because if they're not, you should sunset, you should sunset things. Like it it's like, I would say like less is more for sure, both for the user as to being able to get to the things that they actually use faster, but then also you can get so bogged down by technical debt right? We are, we're doing a massive project right now on our conversion funnel. And, you know, part of that is also a technical like cleanup of just old programs and things like that, that like we no longer offer at Cerebral. And so it's just like something to think about. It's like, you know, as, as you're a product manager, like making sure that you're, you know, sort of removing those barriers or, you know, cleaning up the experience as you're, you know, building out new experiences too.
0: absolutely agree with this. As a program manager of the new products team at Meta, one of our core tenants was not only experimenting with new products, but we sort of were also the gatekeepers mm-hmm. before the product launched on deciding, should this product even launch or should we kill it at So I totally agree. It's you need to constantly be making that assessment and decision holistically for the user.
1: And it's so hard because like you spent all the time like, yeah, doing it and building it. And like, yeah, sunsetting is very difficult. I actually think it's probably one of the hardest parts about being a product manager.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And on that, you've mentioned this a few times now, but you're decision-making trade-off metrics. would love to just hear what goes into the variables that you, you consider, especially if there are competing priorities competing
1: features? Okay. So at, at Cerebral, you know, we focus on LTV, right? Like that's our North star metric, you know, like you can get your LTV higher in, in two ways, right? It's like two main ways. There's many ways, but like, let's just say like the two, the two major ways are one, getting your retention up and making sure that folks are staying longer or two, getting your CAC down and ensuring that the folks you're bringing in, you're bringing in at a really low cost. When we're thinking about LTV, it's like, we, we want to be really, really careful that like, okay, the folks that like, if we come up with something that's going to be great for retention, and like, we put that at the front of the conversion funnel, maybe folks won't buy that item or like less folks have the opportunity to buy that item. And so your, your CAC might go, might skyrocket, right? And so we have to make those trade-offs. And so one way to do that is obviously through A-B testing and seeing Okay, like if we were to offer, you know, therapy uh, for for a year, it's a higher price point, but only certain folks would be able to do that. Like, is it worth? you know, having that higher CAC? And is it worth, you know, the dip in in conversion? And so thinking through that a little bit, and sometimes you don't know the answer because you don't know how folks are going to react. And so doing an A-B test, I think is a really, you know, great way to to gain some some quick learnings.
0: 100%. I realize why you put leadership as one of the top Characteristic that you look for in a candidate because a lot of times when you're making these trade-off decisions, you're not only working with incomplete but sometimes competing information from different XFNs. Definitely uh makes sense. As we start to wrap up, one last thing, just this has been quite the career journey. It's it's amazing what you have been able to accomplish. I want to go back to the point that you were switching industries. What might be some of the internal metrics that give you a sense of, oh, this
1: might be time that I might need a new adventure? Good question. For one, are you learning? Are you continuing to grow? Uh, I think that's really, really important. Um, If you feel like you're sort of stumped and you know, you're kind of like doing the same thing every day and your projects are, you know, not changing like that is that is definitely a be- I'll say like a beige flag. <laughs> you know, I think another one is if, you know, you're looking to go to the next level and there just like isn't an opportunity to do that Either, you know, like maybe you and your manager don't agree on like your next steps in your career or, you know, there just isn't an open position in in what you're looking to do. Like that's that's definitely you know, another time to, to consider looking. I would not start to look for another job if you haven't talked to your manager yet. Like if you're mm-hmm. sort of stumped, like don't just don't just leave. <laughs> like I think you should actually have that conversation and talk about what you can do to grow, because, like I said, your manager is not your a mind, mind reader. And so, if you haven't had those conversations, like it's important it's important to do that. Because because what I will say is like the grass isn't necessarily always greener on the other side, either. (laughs) You don't know what you're going to go into next. So I would say before leaving, like make sure you have had those conversations. Like that's really, really important to do. But yeah, I mean, also like having conversations with people outside of your org, just to like understand what else is out there and, uh, you know, what other opportunities, um, you know, may arise. But like i said i think it needs to be really really thoughtful yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't do it like in a vacuum
0: that's a really good point in full transparency i am having these internal monologues right now as as we speak and a part of me is i don't want to say complacency but I know my job really well I am sort of seen as the expert in our org so people come to me for for this
1: part of me don't want to leave this yeah but like you could also I mean you can also grow like if if you're teaching others how to how to how to like in your particular area like if you're teaching Mm -hmm. others like that is interesting to you because you like doing that like that that is all good and all okay. If you're getting bored by it, like I said, I would have a conversation with your manager about like what is next for you. Yeah, totally
0: makes sense. And how did you find new opportunities?
1: Honestly, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> I mean, it's so it's so funny because you know that's actually how I how I found Cerebral when I got my role at Elevest. Like recruiters had reached out via LinkedIn, so I I do think I do think that you know having your linkedin profile and having it up to date and and all of that is really important if you are you know looking looking for something new going to networking events you know i think is important i did a, i did a couple of those just to kind of meet people and see what was kind of happening out there but a lot of a lot of folks get their jobs through um, loose connections. So I think it's important that, you know, if you are looking to, you know, not say no to any kind of event that you're invited to or talking to a recruiter that writes you on LinkedIn, I mean, you should definitely be having those conversations if you're looking to, for new opportunities.
0: And as you're looking for these new opportunities, we can't let you go without the money question. Right. Um, okay salary negotiation as part of wealth building, were you proactively negotiating and making big jumps with each jump that you were making in your career?
1: Yeah. So what I will say about salary negotiations is like things are changing a bit because employers are now required to put um, salary ranges on, on the JDs, Right. And so I think when you are starting conversations with your recruiter, you know, you should have that conversation about that range, like right from the beginning. I think that is very, very important because if you are looking for something that is, you know, higher than the range, you probably should not continue on with, with that interview. And um, that's because like, like, you know, budgets are real and those, those categories are, are, you know, very, very real. And so I think like setting those expectations upfront of like what you're, what you're looking for is important. I have had folks like when we're like down to the wire, you know, like say like, Oh, I want like a $10,000 or $20,000 jump. And like, if it's out of the range, it's, it's sort of, it, it's, it's actually like not really a good look because like we had gone through this whole process all the way, all the way through. So just like something to, to think about, which is like a little bit different than like when I was going through the process. Cause I don't think that that was like a requirement, but like now it is. And now these, like these salary ranges are posted. So I would definitely have that conversation early and just make sure that um, you know, like what you ask for is, is, um, you know, within, within that range. That's a really good advice. Awesome. Well, this was fantastic, Alex. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Well, thank you, Minky. This is awesome. Uh, it was a pleasure to, to speak with you and, um, thanks for having me. Awesome.